Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in.net. I'm John Clipper, your host, and with me today, the one and only Caleb Wells. Hey, hey. hey Caleb. How hey, are you? Good. Are you avoiding yeah. those storms? Yes. Thankfully for us, Ian didn't come anywhere near New Orleans. Unfortunately, though, right, it's done a number on Florida and the the East Coast. But nope, nothing, nothing so far. Fingers crossed that the season continues that way. But we've been we've been very lucky this year. Yeah. How are you doing? Our thoughts are out there uh, for our listeners yep. that are in Florida. So hope everything's yep. good and everybody's safe and, and, and healthy and things can be replaced. People can't. So that's important there. Exactly. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, let's bring our guest. Let's welcome Martin Mirkin. Yes. Hello, thank you for having me. Hello. Yeah. Welcome. So I think we're actually going to talk about something we haven't talked about today. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, how you got into development, and how you get into uh, .NET? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, development for me started, funnily enough, with uh, coding machines, so CNC machines in my mechanical education. And from that point on, I uh, was interested in, in programming. And I pursued a programming high school and college. Started with uh, C++ and VB back in the day. And got my first job as a SharePoint developer. And I did that for a few years and then I saw the light and went uh, to full.net. And from that point on, being uh, a consultant until four years ago. And then I started uh, freelancing. And that's what I've been doing for four years now. And at the moment, I am a team lead for a .NET uh, development team at my current uh, client. Okay. And where are you based out of? Flemish, Flanders, Belgium. Oh, very nice, very nice. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So uh, I think what we're going to talk about today is actually doing .NET on the Mac platform. I think mm-hmm. you know we really haven't had anybody on, on the show that's, that's specifically said that they've done .NET development on, on a Mac. And, you know, it's actually kind of relatively new you know, as far as the lifespan of, of .NET and Visual Studio to be able to do .NET development mm-hmm. on a Mac. So where should we start? Where should we begin where somebody wants to use a Mac to do .NET? Well, for me, it started um, when .NET Core matured, let's say, starting from .NET Core 2 or 2.2 even. That's when I found out that the cross-platform was was actually 
going to work because the, the first few iterations of .NET Core, of course, there was some API. The API set wasn't large, and it um, yeah wasn't really something to do, to look forward to at that point. But I originally wanted to do .NET development on Linux. Um, but I found that that was such a hassle to set it up and the tool set just wasn't there. And then again, I was invested in the whole Unix-based operating system, even with working with various Docker systems at that time, which were all Unix-based and Linux-based. And I found that having a Mac based on Unix eases the transition from, from environment working on a Mac as opposed to Windows. The contrast is so, there's a huge contrast when you have to work day in, day out with Docker containers and having them set up and prepping them as a DevOps engineer. Um, And I found that that in combination with a Mac or a Linux system just eases development flow. And eventually I rolled into the Mac ecosystem. I moved closer to Linux or Unix is what prompted you to, to move to a Mac or were there other considerations around around the, the switch from PC to Mac? Well, for, for me, if you look at pure hardware, I believe that it, other manufacturers just don't come close to, to whatever Mac provides on the hardware level. The integration from hardware and software isn't something that you see from other OEMs on Windows. And even to date, like Windows 11, has still some problems that Apple just figured out years ago regarding having a a mobile device. So what I found that switching is that the ease of use goes up a lot on that platform, on on Apple-based, mostly uh, thanks to macOS. And in the past, using Windows laptops, it was always something that went wrong, like the PC went to sleep, you came back the other day and everything was gone. Battery life wasn't great. Integration with other uh, devices wasn't that great. And eventually I I taught myself my complete front-end stack is Angular. So it's HTML JavaScript, which runs on a Mac. And then everything at that point in in time on, on that project was completely .NET Core. And I brought a Mac into my development flow and I haven't looked back ever since. Even when I do need to do .NET development, I rather switch to a VM using Parallels, a Windows VM on a Mac than going back to a Windows laptop because the ease of use of slamming the lid down and going home and having make sure that the laptop goes to sleep and I can pick it up later and resume my work is so much more it's worth so much more than than having to to yeah that eases the the transition a bit let's say are you do you find it that you're using visual studio for the mac or are you using vs code or some other editor you know what's your best uh, experience with actually doing the the code editing and debugging and things like that well, I started with Visual Studio for the Mac, indeed. But that is basically a glorified uh, monodevelop. If you ever known Linux, monodevelop is this open source IDE for .NET on Linux. And uh, basically, Microsoft just gave it a fresh coat of paint and called it Visual Studio for the Mac. But the, the, um, the experience isn't great. 
and I was searching for a long time for an IDE and I landed with Visual Studio Code for a bit. Um, but Visual Studio Code is a text editor, not an IDE. You can make an IDE out of it, but it doesn't provide the, the full functionality as Visual Studio on Windows would. And at that time, the M1 Max came out and I was in the same crossroads again. What can I use on that platform? Because it's, it was a completely new platform and nothing was there. But I found that Rider, JetBrains, this Rider, is one of the best tools for developing .NET on any other platform than Windows. Even on Windows, it is a very good platform uh, to develop .NET applications in. But it, yeah, if I have to pair it against Visual Studio on Windows, then Visual Studio, of course, uh, will get my preference. I think one of the big uh, Sean is start doing Writer, and and he he likes the switch, right? It's got resharper built I tried in. it. Yeah, there's definitely approach. some nice things about it. I've I've not make, made the full transition over there. Hmm. I just haven't been able to to spend the time to learn, you know, relearn how to do what I need to do. So I'm just still comfortable hmm. with Visual Studio. You know, I'm on Windows, so you know, I still have the you know the full Visual Studio experience. So that works for me. But uh, I did like uh, some of the performance and some of the uh, utilities that Writer had. So I, I do plan on coming back and trying to give it another shot. But right now, I'm still a Visual Studio for Windows person. <laughs> well, I was surprised that once the support, the ARM, the ARM support dropped for M1 on my MacBook Air, it completely blew my mind about what the performance was and the battery life that you get with that without having to sacrifice anything. So I switched to an Intel Mac pr uh, prior to having an M1, and the Intel one was just getting to know the ecosystem for me. And I chugged along uh, for a long time on that Intel Mac. And from the moment the M1 came, and that's uh, why I wrote a, a blog post about it, is it's, it, it completely changed the game, even to date. Like modern Alder Lake chips are fast. I'm not saying M1 is faster, but it feels snappier just because you have the integration of the operating system and software on there. Even virtualizing Windows 11, like completely virtualized, runs, to my experience, smoother than commodity hardware a Windows installation. So you've been you've been doing this for what, a little over two years now, and there's and there's been several updates to .NET Core now .NET six since then. Did you run into any issues initially with with the SDK or with actually being able to to debug and test your code? Yeah, at the beginning, you had these teething pains, right? You could run applications, but you couldn't debug them. Apple releases and updates. It's mostly Rosetta, the translation layer between ARM um, and x86 that was updated regular regularly. And during that time, release after release or update after update, you could see the the uh, performance increases as well as the bug fixes arriving. And it was yeah. It was painful at that time, but as I said, once the IRM support dropped for most of my tool sets, it became smooth sailing. But then again, .NET ran through Rosetta up until .NET 5, 
And it was only until .NET 6 dropped that full uh, that ARM was supported even on the Mac. And yeah, from the moment that shipped, we I ported all of my projects to .NET 6, and we and I saw significant battery life improvements as well as runtime improvements running these applications and, and, and developing the software. So when you're developing on a Mac, are you limited to just uh, web-based type projects and cross-platform like Xamarin or .NET MAUI? Or, or is there a way that you could do a Windows Forms-based application or something along those lines, even though you're using a Mac? Yeah, well, for the moment, .NET development you can't do .NET classic plot.NET development on the M1 system or M2 or the new ARM, ARM systems. That's why I still have my Intel Mac and I use a virtualized Windows environment to do .NET like WPF and WinForms and all of that. That's what I call classic .NET, as I said. That's what I uh, still would resort to that uh, virtual machine. But for... Uh, all the modern applications like Maui, I haven't tested Maui because I'm not a application developer, I'm more of a backend uh, developer myself. But of course, Xamarin, uh, everything that is cross-platform should basically just, uh, you should be able to do that on, on the Apple flat platform. So it requires a, a, an Intel Mac to be able to do emulation and then do Windows development. You can't do that on an ARM machine? Indeed. So if you want to do classic .NET development, WPF, all of the legacy stuff, let's say, uh, that still requires x86, a chipset on on x86 in order to to execute uh, that code. You can do emulation of x86 on ARM. You can do that, but it's painfully slow. I've tried all the available methods like emulation, that is, as I said, not to be advised. Virtualization. So you can run a Windows for ARM virtual machine on the M1 ARM platform. You can do that. And even to my surprise, there is now a Visual Studio for ARM preview version out, which you can run. You can install Resharper, and then you would have a a, a fully functional, and I might say even performant virtual uh, situation. But the problem with my workflow is that um, I have a lot of my, my, I'm not only limited to Visual Studio. That is not my only environment. I have Visual Studio code running. I have uh, Docker with several Docker containers running. Sometimes it is uh, a lot of stuff in Azure, which you can do on any other machine. But there are certain pieces of software that we need to run in order to configure our uh, local environment. And those tools were written like 10 years ago. And these are .NET, have been ported to .NET 4.6, but nothing, nothing more modern, meaning that I still need to resort back to an Intel machine uh, in order to do that part of my workflow. So I'm here with JD from Raygun. JD, why did you start Raygun? You know, I, I started Raygun. It was actually our 11th product that we built. So, you know, if you're a fellow software engineer thinking you want to build something and build a business, this was the 11th try, right? And we built it because way back when I was writing more code for customers, I used to instrument my code to send an email to myself when something went wrong. 
and it would let me kind of get in front of the issue before the customer complained. And so we built a, a whole product called Raygun for crash reporting initially. Uh, it expanded out into other areas, but it was really just building a full solution to what I'd been doing years earlier to try and build better software. I love that. Just scratching your own itch. It makes a ton of sense. And, and I do that too with some of the stuff that I'm doing, either with podcasting or programming. Yeah, absolutely. The The most awkward thing was when we actually instrumented some of those prior 11 products. And that's when we realized that about 1% of users will ever actually report an issue. And you go, oh, we might have been a lot more successful earlier if we'd known that. <laughs> so that's kind of the whole value prop of Raygun. Yep, absolutely. And it, it makes sense just to put it in there. So folks, if you're looking to try something like this, that will tell you what your problems are, go check out raygun.com and get a free trial. I know, depending on the project or the solution and what you're doing in Visual Studio, the age of the code and whatnot, uh, it can be pretty resource intensive, right? Especially when it comes to memory. Has that been an issue for you on a Mac or, or do you think it's comparable to what you would get in Windows? I think memory management on Unix systems is done way better than, than on, on, on Windows machines. What I found that, well, memory is based on the, the amount of cores you have because the, the amount of cores need to have access to the same piece of memory. So most of the time, memory is duplicated amongst the, the amount of cores that you have. Um, so having more cores means that more memory uh, usage. So the day and age that we have is this, it's these multi-core, multi-thread machines and you need a lot of memory. And Windows isn't really well, managing that, that, that quite well. Not to the, to the degree that macOS has. As I said, Apple has this benefit of having a hardware software integration to a degree that Windows just can't meet because they need to support every piece of hardware out there. I kind of drifted off a bit and I forgot the question. So uh, WinForms is available in .NET 5 and .NET 6. Uh, have you tried that on an ARM machine? No, I haven't. I haven't been... Uh, that is not part of my workflow. Yeah. WinForms, you say. Yeah, I think your workflow is, is a lot like officially mine. Supported? Yeah. yeah. Angular front end and, and .NET back end. That's kind of my workflow that I've been working yes. on for the past few years. Okay. So it's, I like that mm-hmm. that that environment and that kind of architecture. But uh, mm-hmm. I was just curious mm-hmm. if you had started it up and you see if it worked or not. But mm-hmm. No, but then again, if you really need to do that, then in my case, I would resort to an Intel machine. It's still, I have to dust it off a bit, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I still have it. Either way, it probably performs better. And, you know, it, you make sure that, uh, you know, it is, it would be more compatible when you did move it over to an actual Windows machine. I'm the opposite of most designers or people with a design background. Most people I know that are designers, they work on Macs and they love them. And uh, I think it's, mm. it's well known that I'm not a big Apple fan. <laughs> So if I were given the option of a beast of like a PC or a laptop and the highest end Mac, I would pick the PC every time. But I'm guessing with your experience the last couple of years, you would go the Mac route because of the the aesthetics, the hardware, software integration, just how the OS works in general. It works better for your workflow. Yeah, indeed. What I also discovered is that Lots of the front-end work that I do is like Node, Angular, all of that. 
um, there's a, lo- a big community out there that develops on a Mac. Even for .NET on the Mac, there is a growing community. As I see when I'm, I'm part of this uh, subreddit on Reddit, where uh, people keep asking tips and tricks and how do I get started. And I see more and more people trying to find a way to run their workflow on Mac, despite of having a, a Windows-only workflow for the past decade or so. So how does the uh, how does the debugging experience compare between you know working on a Mac and is it just because you're using a different IDE or you're using Rider that you got a different mm-hmm. debugging experience or is there a difference between the platforms and debugging? Uh, not necessarily. If you use Rider, as uh, as you mentioned, um, Rider is a cross-platform IDE and it behaves and looks the same across all of the OSs. So this gives you the benefit to whatever you want, whatever OS and hardware you want to switch to, Rider would just work. And it's not the same case with uh, Visual Studio. Uh, Visual Studio is the best tool on Windows, but if you go another route, it's it, yeah, there's nothing nothing that replaces it. So you have to resort back to Rider. The only thing that I the gripe with Rider that I have is that you need to have a subscription and you need to yeah pay for the software to use it. And on Windows, you have this community edition of Visual Studio, which can help you get started. So if there were a free version of Rider, I think more, more people would be persuaded to, to jump ship. Yeah, one of the things I was interested in you know, when I made the, the tried out Rider and things like that is having you know, the benefits of ReSharper, but it being mm-hmm. built into the platform and therefore it's actually out of mm-hmm. process. So you know, uh, the current version of ReSharper is still you know in the same process right now as Visual Studio on Windows, so you get some performance hits when it's trying to do you know heavy analysis and things like that. So I did uh, find that attractive as moving towards you know Writer. Someday they'll have it in out of process on Visual Studio for Windows, but they've been working on that for uh, a number of years now. So. Indeed, that's also my experience. Yeah. Rider is all the benefits of ReSharper within its own playground. Looking at some of your uh, articles that you've written on Medium, there's also one that you've uh, written a number about, and that's called Prize. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little bit what Prize is? Okay. So Prize, and, and the local name, because it is um, it is actually a Dutch, well, a French word, which we translated into Flemish, but it's called Prize. And the idea beca- behind price is that I wanted to develop a plugin system for .NET, which there are many at the, at the moment. But the idea behind price is that you, once you've written a, a plugin that abides to a certain interface, the problem with this is that once the contract between the host and the plugin changes or the host changes the contract, so it enriches the contract, these assemblies that you've built like five years ago can't be loaded unless you upgrade the, con- the, 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 the the contract, meaning that the code that was compiled back then needs to be recompiled, updated, resubmitted, and then it can be used again. With Prees, I basically, how it works, it, it builds up a dispatch, dispatch proxy 
between the host and the plugin and it finds the nearest possible method to invoke and dynamically invokes the plugin in its own domain. So it like it's like HTTP between or rest between two running assemblies of memory and the the data between, so the parameters and the return values get serialized in JSON. There's a performance hit to that, but the benefit you have is that you can load a plugin that was written five years ago. You don't have necessarily need to recompile it and you can invoke it and get the result out of it. And the, the reason why I wanted to invent such a system was that we, in Belgium, we have a very complex payroll system, a very complex one, and it changes from year to year. So if you want to run a, a, a payslip calculation in the past, you can't do that unless you have lots of historical tables that dictate how the rules were back then. So if you run a payslip in Belgium, you have to literally keep the PDF because when the, the, the IRS-like system, we have the, the taxing system, comes back to check all of your, your history from the, from the last past five, five years, you have to be able to present them the payslip for your employees and vice versa. As an employee, you need to provide that to you have a legal obligation to, to, to keep that information. And the client that I was working with was a payroll system and they had the problem that they can't, couldn't rerun these calculations in the past because the code has migrated towards the future, towards the present day. And if you were to rerun it, you would have different payslips with different values. And those were incorrect because that wasn't what was represented at the time. So using Greece, they were able to basically re-invoke the code that was written back then as a NUCA package and re-invoke that uh, part of the payroll calculation. And even though the, the host, the host shell, the, the API and the contract has evolved from there, from, from the original contract, you could still invoke the other, the old plugins. And that was the, the whole idea behind Praise. How long have you been working on this? Four or five years now, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like you're up to uh, version six now. So yeah, I I tried to keep cadence of the .NET version. So when .NET six came out, I upgraded it. Well, not me personally. I had some help from the open source community um, to upgrade it. But yeah, I tried to keep uh, follow the uh, .NET versions. Uh-huh. And is this is this free to use? Yeah, it's open source software. So as I said, we it was upgraded to .NET six thanks to a one contributor who found it necessary to do so, even though you could still run it in compatibility mode, let's say, but you could still run, even if it's targeted to towards uh, .NET 5, you can still run it in .NET 6. But uh, there are some new APIs in .NET 6, which are very interesting. And there is a performance uh, boost, even though you're using a lot of reflection to get this done. Very cool, very cool. So hopefully we can uh, find some some listeners that want to help out and contribute, or you know, kick up some of the adoption of of this. Uh, so do you find that there's a a good sized community using it right now? I'm I've been competing with another plugin platform, Nate's plugin platform, if I'm not mistaken. That one's more popular, and the the, the reason why it's more popular is because it supports a lot more. And with this setup, it's this. 
dispatch proxy setup and lots of reflection, it hinders other developers to use it in their workflow, specifically Blazor. I've been looking to implement a Blazor, well, compatibility, and it, yeah, it's, I don't think it will be ever be possible with this setup to do, which I find such a shame. Otherwise, it would have been one of the most uh, popular ones. That was my goal eventually. All right, very cool. I mean, I've, I've been playing around with Blazor some, uh, looking at, you know, upgrading some old web forms projects into something that can get me into the .NET 5, .NET 6, you know, type platform. So that's been an option for me. Caleb's done a number of uh, Blazor projects. So I think Blazor would be great if you bit. could somehow get it get it working. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's probably is some challenges there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't say that I have much experience in, in Blazor. It's it's something that completely went past. Okay. So before we wrap up, do you have anything else that you'd uh, like to talk about either uh, with you and .NET development on a Mac or with, with Prees? No, I think, I think I said it all what I wanted to say. Okay, very cool. If our questioners, if our listeners have questions, how should they get in touch with you? What's the best way? I'm on Twitter via Medium. So if you Google my name, there's uh, a lot of things that will uh, pop up. Twitter, Medium, just reach out. Okay. And if you Google Price or Price. Yeah. P-R-I-S-E. Uh, uh, P-R-I-S-E. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. If you Google that, you will uh, be able to contact me mm-hmm. or even contribute if you'd like. All right. Cool. And that's uh, Martin with two A's and Merkin. Yeah. M-E-R-K-E-N. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Yep. If our listeners want to get to touch with the show, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, they can get me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> and I'm at Caleb Wells Codes. All right. So let's move on to picks then. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. So Caleb, you want to go first? What's your pick? Sure. I don't think we picked this one yet. And it's only been out for a month and a half, maybe. But it is uh, She-Hulk on Disney+. Plus. And I was getting a lot of uh, flack for the... For the CGI and yeah, yeah. whatnot. But, you know, if you just watch the episodes, they're funny. And I feel like they're well-written. And so so I'm enjoying it. So yeah, She-Hulk. Yeah, my wife and I have been also uh, watching that too. And I, I held off on a little bit because of, of the CGI, you know, the knocks on the CGI being, you know, right. really kind of, you know, low budget uh, kind of compared to a lot of things nowadays. Oh. But yeah, the, the the show is all right, so um, it's worth you know overlooking some of the CGI stuff and just enjoying the show and and those type of things. So yeah, yep, cool. Okay, my pick this week is going to be. I guess I will go with a new webcam that I picked up. My webcam was, that I had before was a Logitech, you know, and uh, was good 
webcam worked just fine. I, I don't know why I just had this itch to to get a new one because it's probably, you know, five or six year old, but it, it worked well. So I picked up their new, uh, the Logitech Brio 505 and it's got some nice features along with the software things. like that. It kind of has that little follow feature that some newer things software has. So if you want to turn that on, it'll try to keep you in frame depending on, and it's got a nice, you know, nice design and a nice shutter to, you know, be for privacy mode. You just kind of turn the side of it and things like that. I did have to get a, uh, a USB adapter because I wanted to run it through my KVM. So I had to get a USB-C to USB-A adapter to plug it in there. But other than that, it, it worked for a while. It's got the, a magnetic mount, so it's easy to pull on and off and things like that. So if you're in the market for a webcam, it's it's uh, fairly affordable. I think it was about 130 bucks is what I pour, paid for it US. So check it out. You know, it's kind of mid-range price and things like that, but good features. So cool. yeah, Brio 505. All right, Martin, what do you have for a pick? What do you want to let our listeners know about that interests you lately? Actually, I just wanted to shout out and hopefully persuade some people to start using Rider. Yeah, I'll second that. You know, even though I haven't fully, you know, came on board and things like that, mm-hmm. it, I, it was definitely interesting. And if I was... Mm-hmm on a Mac, that would probably definitely be the platform that I would be going to. So, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, it was great to have you and and talk about, you know, doing Mac development, uh, something that we haven't covered on the, all the episodes that we've we've had up till day, today. We've really not talked about the Mac too much. So that was great to have you come on and, and uh, you know, let us know all the good things about doing .NET development on a Mac. Thank well, you. Very much for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I don't think you convinced really do, Caleb yeah. to make the switch, but uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but it's uh, all good. Definitely, definitely good information yeah, for, for everybody out there. All right. Thanks, everybody. Right. And we'll catch our listeners on the next episode of Adventures in.net. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.